This show is sponsored by Headnote, helping law firms get paid 70% faster with their compliant e-payments and accounts receivables automation platform. Learn how to get paid quicker and more efficiently at headnote.com. Welcome to this episode of the Modern Law Library. I'm Olivia Aguilar from ABA Publishing, and I'll be today's host. In this episode, I speak with Rena Cook, co-author of Her Voice in Law, Vocal Power and Situational Command for the Female Attorney. Rena Cook, Professor Emerita at the University of Oklahoma, is a TEDx speaker, author, voice, speech, confidence, and presentation coach. She is the founder of Vocal Authority, a training consultancy serving attorneys who want to use their voice in more commanding and authentic ways. She is the author of Empower Your Voice for Women in Business, Politics, and Life, and Voice and the Young Actor, used throughout the U.S. and the U.K. Her Voice in Law provides an in-depth training course for the female attorney who wants to have more vocal power and a wider range of storytelling skills to strengthen their success in and out of the courtroom. Today, Rena discusses the various aspects of voice and presentation, including breath, resonance, articulation, inflection, and shaping openings and closings for maximum impact on the jury. Rena, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. I want to start off by just saying this is a fantastic book, and it really just covers everything that anyone would need to know about public speaking and presentation, so um, we're really excited to chat about it today. Well, thank you. Uh, that's great to hear. I yeah. haven't heard anybody say that. And that, was, <laughs> that was what I was hoping that we could accomplish. Yeah. So let's start off with just talking a little bit about your background and what inspired you to write Her Voice in Law. Okay. Well, I started life as a singer, actor, dancer, and I thought that's what I was going to do with my life. But I quickly discovered that I was really a teacher and that what I wanted to do with my life was teach. My passion was theater. So I taught theater. So I spent the majority of my adult life training actors. And along that path, I got obsessed with the voice and recognized that if the voice is not working, nothing else works. So I left my then university job and got another degree in voice so that I could be the best possible voice trainer that I could. And uh, a few years ago, I got a calling, uh, a tug that I wanted to share that skill set, that actor's voice movement skill set with attorneys. Mm -hmm. and, and I felt that attorneys and other professional people could benefit from the skills that I was teaching actors. And so that gave birth to this particular part of my career. And I had several attorney clients. And that's what kind of led me down the path of, I need to write a book about this. And one of my clients, who is an attorney, Lori Kohler, mm -hmm. who helped me write this book, we decided that our mission was to empower women attorneys to use their voice more effectively and to use body language more effectively to tell their client's story wherever they happen to be telling that story in or out of the courtroom. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Lori. Could you kind of talk about the book includes notes from you and Lori. Could you mm -hmm. kind of talk about the, the collaboration process for both of you and how it worked? Well, it was, it was really a fun process and kind of an unconventional process. She is a very busy attorney, and we wanted to collaborate on this book. So it became a conversation. I would go to her office 
and we would just talk and I would ask her questions about things that I needed as I was fleshing out the narrative of the book. What's it like when? What do you call this? What do you wish attorneys would know about what you and I do together when we're working on voice? Mm -hmm. And so the book became a dialogue really between the two of us. She it was one of my clients. She came to me and said, I, I want to do some voice work. I want to be better in the courtroom. And it was through that work that she started seeing not only in herself, but the value of what we do together for all women attorneys. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it's really interesting. She said, okay, we have to write this book. And she said, let's do a retreat. So the two of us found a weekend in common and we trooped off to a rustic resort and locked ourselves in. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, spent the whole weekend brainstorming and and the, the outline emerged from that retreat. And the book really follows the outline. As I, over the next year, fleshed it out, we just turned the outline into a book. Wow, that's that's amazing. I had no idea that you actually went to a cabin and and thought it out like that. I know, right? That's kind of a writer's dream come true. Yeah, you know? yeah. Writer's fantasy. Let's just retreat and write. Right. We had an amazing time. Of course, we took a walk and got into chiggers. Oh. <laughs> so it was a, a little gift that stayed with us for about six weeks after oh, the wow. retreat. But. Uh, that was the only downside. It mm-hmm. was a very exciting collaboration. It excited my imagination for all of the possibilities and the places that the voice and the body language work can fit in to the legal world. There are so many situations where awareness and preparation of how you're going to use your voice and your body in whatever communication opportunity is put in front of you you have a better chance for success, however you are defining success, if your body and your voice are prepared and ready to do the heavy lifting with you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So in the book, you you started off with talking about how women are experiencing a crisis of confidence. For example, women do not apply for jobs unless they have 100% of the job's required skills. How would you say that women could use voice and body language to build that authentic confidence when it comes to whether they're in the courtroom or not? Well, the confidence is such an ephemeral thing. And we feel like we have confidence or we don't. If we don't have enough of it, we simply have to learn how to work around that and to live with it. And many women in the professions suffer in some way from lack of confidence and they either cave in on their voice and their body and so it denies voice or they press too hard to make people think that they have great confidence when in actuality they don't. So there are two places where lack of confidence shows. It can be in this denial of power or in this bluff to Mm -hmm. show power that or confidence that doesn't exist. And women typically fall into one of those two categories. And it's not 
changing so much your mental construct and your emotional construct about confidence, why I have it, why I don't, how can I get more? It's if your voice and your body are doing the things that make you look and sound confident, the feelings follow. Mm. And we, you know, this is a basic of actor training. If you want the audience to feel what you are feeling, use your voice and your body in ways that sound like, and then you will feel like. Mm -hmm. So body and voice can lead. If you want to have more genuine confidence, find in the body where confidence in the muscles lives. Find in the voice where confidence lives and then you will feel it as well. Mm -hmm. And typically, women just aren't led down that path. It's interesting to me, as you stated in that quote, statistics show that, that most men will apply for a job if they have, say, 60% of the qualifications. They're like, yeah, I can do mm -hmm. that. And women say, well, I have to have 100% of those requirements before I can feel comfortable applying for the job. If a woman is in a room of all men, she will talk less than she typically would. Mm. A man in a room of all women will talk as much as he always does. Right. And it's, it's kind of a cultural training that we come up with. And then we get into situations as attorneys where that no longer serves us and we're either denying our power or we're pressing for our power. And so learning how to find that grounded and centered, authentic place where our intelligence and our confidence lives in an authentic way. And then we can always be ourselves. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to be something we're not. We just are who we are, and that is enough. Yeah, definitely. To start from the beginning of the book, the beginning chapters are organized around different aspects of the voice or body language. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of want to talk about uh, catching their heart chapter. It gets its own chapter. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you why you think that that chapter is especially important to this book. Well, it's first important that you develop the skill set, and that's why I save capturing their hearts till the last. There's some skill involved in tuning the instrument, which is learning how to use the voice, learning how to use the body, learning how to be expressive with voice and body, and then how do you capture the hearts of the listeners? And of course, from the theater, I, I bring it back to actors know how to say the lines and then bring their heart so that they can capture the audience's heart. When we are in um, legal situations, we need to capture the hearts of a jury, of a client who is looking to hire us, of a co-counsel, of a judge. There are many people throughout the legal situations that we need to get their emotional buy-in. Mm -hmm. And there are techniques where we can, while controlling our own emotions, we can invite the listener, the audience, juror, judge, 
to feel what we want them to feel and to experience what we want them to experience. And that is, that's the secret sauce, right? That's, yeah. that's the thing. So in, in our progress toward that, we lay the groundwork with the skill-based exercises, muscle training, and then we learn how to excite our own imagination so that the audience also feels it. Let me give you a really specific example. If I want the audience to see and feel something, and let's say, for example, just the word that comes to my mind right now is ghetto. Mm-hmm. And if we want someone to see and feel ghetto, we have to have a specific image in our mind of what we think of when we say the word ghetto. We use that word specifically. We don't just say a sad neighborhood, a run-down neighborhood. We don't just say good side of the track, bad side of the track. We use the word ghetto. And what do we see? And then we see it as we say it. We make the word sound like what it means to us, ghetto. Mm -hmm. And then the audience sees it and hears it as well. So it's making words sound like what it means Mm. and seeing in our own mind what it is we want the audience to see. And that will trigger in them their image of ghetto. Interesting. Yeah. Well, before we move on, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, law firms. Getting paid is fantastic, but dealing with accounts receivable is such a pain. What if there was a better way? Inner Headnote, an industry-leading compliant e-payments and AR automation system. Their unique blend of features cuts through the noise and helps you to get paid 70% faster. Skip the paper checks, spreadsheets, and awkward calls to overdue clients. Get paid faster with less effort. Visit headnote.com for more information. Welcome back to the Modern Law Library. We're speaking with Rena Cook, co-author of Her Voice and Law. To get back into it, we were just talking about the connection between an actor's delivery and the delivery you would make in a courtroom or trying to get a new client. And in Chapter 4 of the book, you argue that lawyers really need to amplify their storytelling skills and use body language and gestures in those storytelling scenarios. Right. What are the similarities between storytelling or acting and speaking in the courtroom? Okay, that's a really good question. And I want first to clarify that when I say acting techniques or be like an actor, that does not mean be somebody else lie, pretend to be something that you are not. Mm -hmm. An actor trains to be authentically themselves on the stage or on the screen. So when I use these techniques with attorneys, it's to help them be better versions of themselves, more free and expressive versions of themselves. It's to amplify truth, not to lie or set up false scenarios. So we use these techniques so that you can be more fully yourself. So that in storytelling, if I am just delivering the words, Mm -hmm. 
in the way that I might read it out loud. You know, you prepare a brief or you prepare an opening and you just read it out loud. The words just kind of go away from you. And if you understand how to use the language to make it come alive, you understand about rhythm variety, rate variety. You understand that anything that is delivered at the same predictable rate of speed throughout, the audience is going to tune it out. Mm-hmm. They need rate variety. Some things go fast, some things go slow. That's an element of storytelling. Pitch variety, inflection. We need to hear pitch variety to get meaning. For example, if you're comparing apples and oranges, and of course, attorneys compare things all the time, right? It's the basis, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the foundation of what we argue, comparisons between two things, between two opposites. If I just say to you, it's apples or it's oranges, you kind of get that I'm doing a comparison between apples and oranges. But if you hear that with inflection, it's apples or it's oranges. Mm-hmm. So it's just the difference in inflection at that comparison. The listener gets twice as much information and it affects them viscerally and emotionally. It's good or it's bad or it's good or it's bad. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we hear the pitch change and we know something really important is being contrasted. I so see. that's a part of storytelling. Another part of storytelling is where do you put the pause? Yeah, do you put the pause before the big reveal? Do you put it after the big reveal? And there, there is no rule about that, but you know to try it both ways. Where is it most effective? If I want to get the gotcha moment or I want the listener, the jury, the judge to hear a word, how do I set that word up for optimal recording, optimal hearing and penetration of that word? So we learn where and how to use pause in storytelling. Many people fall off at the ends of sentences. You know, I call it falling inflection disease. And we start the sentence strong, and then by the end, we've kind of fallen away like this. Mm-hmm. Well, when we are delivering legal ease in legal situations, the most important words come at the end of sentences as opposed to at the beginning. So you want to save your energy for the end and not let the end drop away. Mm. So it's a technique of how do you keep the energy going through that most important word, which is the last word of the sentence. So those are storytelling techniques, very specific storytelling techniques that we teach through this book that people can then apply to their own openings, closings, pitches, presentations, briefs, even if it's just asking questions and depositions, what is the most effective way to ask that question to solicit the kind of response that you are looking for? Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. The book uh, definitely includes a lot of 
techniques and skills that you can use in any workplace or any situation. And on top of the storytelling techniques that you just mentioned, there's a lot of different exercises. And actually, there are illustrations of, of people doing the exercises, which is helpful. And one that you really stress is power without press. Could you define that and explain it, uh, why it's so crucial? Absolutely. Um, that is a phrase that has emerged for me where we find ultimate power without the power going to stridency. And I just call it press. I'm alliterative. I like the alliteration power without press. Mm -hmm. So it's having my authentic confidence and power without having to push. And if I don't push, I can maintain grounded, centered, maintain my center. But if my energy is low in the body as opposed to high, when I'm pressing, my energy goes up into my chest and in my chin. And I'm doing that right now just a little bit at the microphone. I'm lifting my chin. I'm pulling my shoulders back. And you can hear the stridency that comes into my voice. Mm -hmm. If I move that energy down into my lower center around the area of my belly button and imagine that that's the source of my power, then I can be as strong as I want to be, as uncompromising as I want to be, but still allow the other person to enter into my world. I am not armoring myself against the other person. Mm -hmm. I'm maintaining my strength and my openness. And also the power or the level of my strength does not become overbearing. Women attorneys are often labeled aggressive, shrill, strident, angry all the time, intimidating, when that's not in actuality what it is they want to be projecting. They want to be projecting competence, confidence, grounded and centered. So it's where we put our power in our body so that we can own power without pressing for it. Right. Yeah. And on, on that note, women attorneys being labeled as aggressive if they, you know, speak with confidence and that kind of thing. You also say in the book that a woman can lose power when she's speaking if her vocal quality is either strident or harsh or nasal. Mm -hmm. But she can't be too soft nor too strident. So it's a seems like a, a balance. It is a balance. But once you learn how in the body you control that balance, mm -hmm. it's not a mystery. Right. You know, I'm grounded in my feet. My knees are soft. I'm breathing deeply and centrally. And I'm making space in my mouth. I will have a commanding voice without it going to strident, shrill. And I'm pulling away from the microphone so I don't blast you out. Mm -hmm. But when I get strident and shrill, nobody wants to listen to that. Right. But I don't have to be weak in order to project that confidence that is power that people will listen to and engage with my thought. Mm -hmm. On that note as well, you highlight some of these uh, power-stealing vocal traits, what, what you kind of just mentioned, but you also, you know, things that indicate that you're not being confident or assertive is mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> up-speak, inflection, etc. Could you kind of talk about those, those traits as well? 
Absolutely. Upspeak is a real common sound uh, with female millennials where everything is kind of a question. Um, we'd <sighs> like to try this new technique uh, and it's going to be like this. Mm hmm right? It go, there's a question mark. And women do this to get validation, to say, am I on the right track here? And they want a response, a validation. Yes, yes, I get it. You're on the right track. And that's a power sucker. So it's not falling off at the end. It's just ending your statements with a period, taking away the question mark. Another power sucker is allowing the sound to be nasal, like I'm doing right now. And that's also a fairly common sound among young women. And it's simply that I'm not making enough space in my mouth and so that my sound is going down my nose. Mm. If I just make more space in the back of my mouth, the sound changes to this rather than this. Mm. I also coached a woman who came to me, very bright, third-year law student, and she said, I'm afraid they won't take me seriously in the courtroom. And I worked with her on how to open up her woman voice because that little girl voice is just a habit. It's not her real voice. So I helped her breathe more deeply and make more space in her mouth so that the adult woman's voice that was always there is free to come out. Mm -hmm. And we did that within a 45-minute session. Now, that doesn't mean she's forever after going to be able to access her woman's voice. But through practice, she can gain permanent access to the voice that is already there that she's just been denying through years of habit. Yeah, I found that really interesting in the book, how it's, you know, a learned behavior and, and there's ways to to undo that. Absolutely. One of, one of the mottos that I use is you don't have to be stuck with the voice you think you were born with. <sighs> yeah. Our voices grow out of habit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's psychological habits that we're masking or defending or protecting, but it is muscle habits nonetheless. And if we learn how to change the way we use the muscles that make voice, we change the way we use our voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the, the point about uh, law school, I think in the book, you also say in law school, there's an emphasis on what to say, but not necessarily on how to say it. Exactly. And research shows that how you say what you say matters twice as much as what you say. Mm -hmm. People don't remember content. They remember how you say it and how you made them feel. Right. So, you know, we spend a lot of time crafting content and we need to spend equal amounts of time on how we say what we say and how we make people feel because that's what gives the jurors the ammunition and the courage to go into that deliberation room and advocate for you and your client. You've mm -hmm. made them feel something yeah. and that empowers them to then fight for you. Exactly. Yeah. To talk about some other skills in the book that you, you write about, you also talk about uh, vocal flexibility, and I think you mentioned it earlier as well. How are some ways that uh, readers can practice vocal flexibility? Hmm, that's interesting. I use the vocal track work to help find flexibility. For example, if I lift my soft palate deliberately, my sound gets a little warmer. 
And right then, I think you probably heard that I just lifted my soft palate and I went to a bit clearer and warmer sound. If I want to tap into my authentic lower resonators, I can retract what we call the false folds. It's a piece of anatomy right above your true vocal folds that you can open up and that gives you access to your lower resonators. Mm. So just those two techniques gave me access to different qualities in my voice that are both mine, that are both authentic, that don't sound artificial, but give me two different ways to use my voice. If I want to project a childlike quality, if I want to solicit empathy for a child, I use a different part of my voice, a lighter, maybe higher part of the voice. He did what any eight-year-old would do. Mm. And that quality evokes, rather than I'm not trying to be the child. Right, right. I'm just evoking childlikeness in my own voice that will help the listener enter into the childlike world and identify more emotionally with what was going on with that child. Mm. Rather than if I use my lower adult voice, you know, he was a child, an eight-year-old child. It doesn't elicit the same quality as he was just a child. Mm -hmm. And that is another aspect of my authentic voice. Because I have developed flexibility, I have easy access to those three qualities that I just demonstrated. Oh, that's so interesting. You can really tell the difference when you were showing it that way, yeah. Good, because it's hard when you don't have the visual to go right, with. Right, right. Uh-huh. To kind of go back to women working in law, you make the point that a lot of women working in law need to secure clients through networking and perfecting their 60-second pitch. You know, a lot yeah. of lawyers are not necessarily working in big law. They're wanting, you know, to secure clients and, and make these connections. What are some tips for those lawyers for making those connections? Well, since I started my own business, I have learned a lot about the importance of networking. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are lots of venues and places that a woman who is self-employed or has her own firm can go to meet people. And we simply, number one, have to get out and meet people. And it's not like we have to be salesmen all the time. We don't. We don't want to be hard sell. And I hesitate to use the word ambulance chaser because it is such a horrible label in the legal field. But you have to let people know that you are there to help them. So you have to meet people. And then when you do meet people, you need to have ready the problems that you solve and the people that you can help and maybe one example of someone that you have helped to spark in the imagination of the person that you're meeting or the people that you're meeting. These are the things that I can do to help you or to help someone you know. Mm. And then, you know, structuring your 30-second or your 60-second. And that's not a canned speech that sounds like I wrote this down, I am delivering what I have written, and every person I meet receives the same message. You know, you just right. have some words prepared that say, these are the problems that I solve. Mm -hmm. And maybe you know someone who has experienced this. 
And you assume that everybody you meet is not a potential client. Everybody you meet is someone who knows other people. Right. And you just want to spread the word around that you are someone who helps individuals with these specific kind of concerns. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the authenticity point that you brought brought up earlier that that, that's the, the main goal in all of this is to come off as authentic. And build authentic relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about selling your services in a networking situation. It's building authentic relationships. We all go through life and either encounter for ourselves or encounter for our friends and family problems that an attorney can help us with. Mm-hmm. And that's legitimate, and it's wonderful that there are attorneys who can help us with these things. And you just open up relationship pathways. It's not selling. It's not handing out a card at accident sites. Mm-hmm. It's authentically building relationships and bringing your skill set to the world. And the world then, in the form of one person at a time, can share that information with their circle. And that expands your own circle a hundred times. Now, many attorneys that I coach don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to network. They don't want to have their 60 second at the ready. Mm -hmm. But through training, through practice, through rethinking how all of that happens, you can do it effectively, authentically, without pressure to you, and without putting any kind of pressure to buy or sell in the face of the people that you are meeting and building relationships with. You enrich their lives. They enrich you by the things that they have to offer as well. So if you look at networking in that way, it's a joyous thing rather than, oh, my God, I have to do this. Mm -hmm, Exactly. But we're not in a world where people are just going to walk in and say, you're my gal, particularly Mm -hmm. if you are in a small law firm or you're building your own firm. And many women now form their own firms because they can be more flexible for themselves and for their their partners. They can build the kind of climate that most suits who they authentically are. And with that comes the need to network and be able to get the word out about who you are and what you do. Definitely. So we've covered a lot of skills and a lot of tips that you include in the book, but I wanted to ask you, Um, What do you hope readers will gain from reading your book? Oh, wow. I know it's a large question. Yeah. Ultimately, I hope it's an awareness of how much they can control about their voice and their body language. Mm. We spend years perfecting our content, our knowledge of subject, and very little time perfecting the way we share and deliver it. And and this book outlines a whole process that if you do want to improve the way you physically and vocally communicate, you can learn to be better. You can be empowered to be more confident and more effective. And here is the process. Mm-hmm. So that's not an easy answer to your question. Yeah. yeah. But no. but I think I think awareness. Mm. Awareness of this world that many people did not, do not know exists 
that can help you be so much more effective at your job. Right. And I really want to focus on that it's, you know, it's obviously for lawyers, but I think it, it can apply to anyone that's that's needing to work on their confidence and their their public speaking. So I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss today? I think that you've covered it. I think you've asked me some really great questions and and I've shared a lot. If someone wants to dig deeper into this, I would encourage them to reach out to me through my website, myvocalauthority.com, and we can start a dialogue about how you can start this process. It's individual, it's personal, and it's very, very powerful. That's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Rena. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You can purchase Her Voice in Law at the ABA web store. Go to AmericanBard.org forward slash products. That's AmericanBard.org forward slash products. If you enjoyed this episode of the Modern Law Library, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening service.